Fantasy Times podcast for another week. We are at episode eight, and we're calling this one, Is There an Interval Needed? So uh, look, we're just gonna dive right in. I'm gonna give you a bit of a recap over the last five or six weeks together, because I think that's helpful for us as we uh, build the case for an imminent rapture of the church. And so, so far together, we've looked at biblical evidence showing us what is the doctrine of the rapture, that is the blessed hope of the believer, uh, that Jesus has promised to come back and receive us unto himself, catch us up into the clouds, translate us and take us into heaven. We've looked at that doctrine. We've looked at uh, all the raptures in scripture, that is the word rapture in scripture. We've looked at Uh, the rapture events that have happened in Scripture and are prophesied to happen in Scripture. It's not a a new thing, not a weird thing. It's something that God has done and will do. We've looked at the fact that there is a seven-year tribulation period that is to come, which is seven years of God's wrath upon an unbelieving world. But the church-age believer, we've also looked at the fact that the church-age believer is exempt from God's wrath and therefore exempt from that seven-year period. We've also looked at the 24 elders who represent or who likely represent the complete body of the church and that the 24 elders are in heaven for the duration of the tribulation period, again confirming the believer's exemption from that seven-year period of God's wrath. And then the last two weeks we've looked at the rapture and the return and how they are two stages of the one event that is the second coming of Christ. And last week we closed with this quote from John MacArthur and I thought it uh, appropriate for us to open uh, with this quote from John MacArthur today. Scripture suggests for the second coming, uh, sorry, that the second coming occurs in two stages. First, the rapture when he comes for his saints and they are caught up to meet him in the air. And second, his return to earth when he comes with his saints to execute judgment on his enemies. Daniel's 70th week must fall between these two events. For that is the only scenario that reconciles the imminency of Christ's return for his saints with the yet unfulfilled signs that signal his final glorious return with his saints. Now, we were going to look this week at the day of the Lord's wrath and especially at the Bible's assertion that the seven-year tribulation period, the whole seven years, is God's wrath. But I believe that we covered enough of this in episode four that I hope that you understand that God's wrath is indeed that whole seven-year period. Next week, we're also going to look at Daniel's 70th week or 70 weeks prophecy, which will hope, hopefully help you uh, to again see uh, the assertion of that seven-year um, interval. But look, the next three weeks, uh, we're going to look at these things. This week, we're going to look at the interval that's needed between the rapture and the return. Next week, we'll look at Daniel's 70th week. And then after that, we're going to look at the imminency uh, of Christ's return. That is the doctrine of imminency. Uh, So this week, the necessity of an interval between the rapture and the return. We've confirmed over the last two weeks that the rapture and the return cannot be the same event because they have irreconcilable differences. And in all likelihood, the most uh, accurate biblical 
understanding of those two events, the rapture and the return, is that there is an interval of some kind in between them. And I'm going to argue today that that is in fact the case biblically, that there are things that need to occur between the rapture and the return that make it essential that there is an interval. I'm going to start with a quote from John Walford. He says this, A careful study of related scripture will demonstrate that an interval of time between the translation of the church, that is the rapture, and the second coming of Christ to establish the millennial kingdom, that is the return, is absolutely necessary. An interval of time between the rapture and the return is absolutely necessary because of what Scripture says. So not only are there significant differences that cannot be reconciled between the event of the rapture and the event of the return, some of which we've examined over the last couple of weeks, but Scripture also shows us that there must in fact be a time interval between those two events to allow four very specific events to occur. And we're going to look at those together today. Two of which, two of these events take place in heaven during the tribulation, and two of them will take place on the earth immediately after the return. And we'll see why the interval is required for those two events after the return as well. So to start with, to kick off with, we're gonna look at the judgment seat or the beamer seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10. So this is the first event uh, that has to take place between the rapture and the return, which is why the interval is necessary. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans 14.10. But why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt? For your brother, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What for? What will we be judged on? 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, that is, if anyone is in Christ and builds their life on that foundation, um, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. What does that mean? And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But, and this is important, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. Now the believer is saved. So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're not, we're not judged on whether we're saved or not. We're already in heaven. This event occurs in heaven. We're judged on our works and we will either receive rewards or not. Now, this judgment seat, the word in the Greek, it's a single word that is translated into judgment seat and it means, and the word is beamer, the beamer of Christ. A beamer, now this is interesting, was a raised platform where judges sat to view athletic games. 
in uh, ancient times. Their job was to make sure that contestants followed the rules of the games and to present awards to the victors of the games. Now, the Bema was never a place to reprimand athletes or to punish them in any way. It was a place of testing and of reward. Sound familiar? In the same way, the Bema of Christ, the judgment seat, will not be a place of condemnation. It'll be a place of rewards. Now, interestingly, the judgment seat of Christ, this Bema, is never referenced in any of the very detailed accounts of the return of Christ. And that, that would be an important omission uh, if, uh, if, in fact, it is occurring at the same time. But that in and of itself is not enough evidence. And that's what we've been presenting over the uh, number of weeks that we have, that there's significantly more evidence than just the fact that it is omitted. There is, however, biblical evidence that the judgment seat of Christ will occur after the rapture and before the return. So let's look together at this evidence. 1 Corinthians 4.5, and I'm just going to give you some evidence. Keep searching the scriptures to find more. It's exciting. 1 Corinthians 4.5, Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes. Now that's really important. Who will bring both to uh, who will bring sorry who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts? Then each one's praise will come from God. See the evaluation of believers here will occur when the Lord comes. So the question is, is this referring to the rapture or is it referring to the return? Let's continue to search the scriptures together. But what we know is. The evaluation of believers will occur when the Lord comes. So now we need to figure out which, uh, which event, if you will. Is it the rapture? Is it the return that the believer, uh, how does it look? Revelation 19. Turn to Revelation 19 with me if you've got your Bible open, verses 7 through 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, chronologically, this is before the return of Christ. And what's this talking about? Well, before the return of Christ, the bride of Christ here, which is who it's talking about, the bride of Christ, has received her rewards, and that is indicated by the garments, the fine linen, which is what? The righteous acts of the saints. What happens when our uh, works, our acts are tested, or the unrighteous acts are burnt up, and the righteous ones result in rewards? So the fine linen is the result of, and the Bible also speaks of crowns, but fine linen here is indicating that we have been tested, that is the church, um, the bride of Christ has been tested and rewarded prior to the return of Christ. If you jump forward to verse 11 of Revelation 19, we read this, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. 
Who is this person? He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. That is Jesus Christ. This is his coming that it's talking about. Verse 14, and the armies. Who are the armies? Well, first of all, they're in heaven. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Well, who, who is clothed in fine linen? Well, that is the church because they were arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We just read that literally two verses before. So here we have that at the return, the bride of Christ is clothed in fine linen. So firstly, the bride of Christ is in heaven with Jesus before the return. Chronologically, the bride of Christ is in heaven before Jesus comes at his return. And secondly, they have already been rewarded. They've already got their fine linen, which is the righteous acts of the saints, which has to do with the rewards. They've already got their rewards before the return. That's interesting. That is very interesting. So because the rewarded bride will come back to earth with Jesus at his return, Revelation 19, 14. It is therefore necessary for the church to have prior to the return gone up to heaven. At some stage before the return, the church has to get to heaven. Because why? Well, the church is in heaven. It's received its rewards and then it comes back. Okay, really important. There has to be some time interval between the rapture and the return in order to account for the rewards process. At the return, the church is seen in heaven, having been rewarded and they come back with Jesus. Therefore, they have to have been in heaven before the return. How did they get there? The rapture is how they got there. The second event, so there's a time interval clearly needed in order to reward the church. The second one is the marriage of the Lamb. Now we've read this passage, but I'm going to read it again. Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. I'm going to emphasize some words here. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, this seems to, the way that this is referred to in Scripture, this seems to come, obviously, it, it's laid out chronologically before the return of Christ. That is, a few verses later in Revelation 19, 14, the same bride who is clothed in fine linen here returns with Jesus to the earth. Now, notice where the presentation of the bride to Jesus takes place. It's not in the clouds, like in the rapture. It's not on the earth, like after the second coming. The marriage takes place in heaven. So the bride has to get to heaven in order to be married. And it has to take place before, chronologically, the return. The marriage of the Lamb, therefore, requires a time interval between the rapture and the return in order for the bride to be made ready, that is clothed in fine linen and to be married. 
So the bride has to somehow make its way to heaven before the return of Christ, has to receive its rewards, the crowns which are then laid at the feet of Jesus and the garments, obviously that's our focus here, the garments of fine linen which they have to be wearing because at the return they're wearing them and they're married. So the marriage and the rewards all have to take place sometime after the rapture and sometime before we return with Jesus at his second coming or at his return to the earth. Now, the third thing, so that's the first two. The second two events um, take place immediately after the uh, return. But stick with me, I'm going to explain why that's important. So the, the next one is the judgment of the sheep and the goats. We find that in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read just verses 31 through 33 for us. Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All right, so Jesus has come. All the holy angels are with Him. Then He will sit on His throne in His uh, in his glory. We also know that the church has come with him as well. It doesn't articulate that here, but that's okay. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. And as I said, this clearly takes place after the return. Jesus has to return on earth in order to um, sit on his throne and separate sheep from goats. So why is there an interval that's required between the rapture and the return for this to occur? Why am I, why am I talking about this? Why am I bringing this up as proof that an interval of time is absolutely required between the rapture and the return. Why, why is that? Now, let me first give you a little bit of context that I hope will help you understand this. This passage here regarding the sheep and the goats is uh, referring to the judgment of the nations. We see in verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him. Now, when Jesus comes back, we need to understand that in Matthew 24, 31, it says Jesus, when Jesus comes back, who does he come back with? He comes back with his church, with his bride. When he comes back with his bride, Jesus will send his angels out to gather all the elect of Israel. Now, Matthew 24, 31 simply says the elect. Now, when we piece, this is what this whole process is all about. It's about taking uh, details from scripture and trying to line it up. How does it fit all together? Because the Bible uses the term elect in relation to the church, in relation to Israel, in relation to Old Testament saints, in relation to tribulation saints, in relation to... Uh, the word is not exclusively used for the church. Okay, we've talked about this together. So Matthew 24, 31, there is an elect group that is gathered. Now, based on the details in Scripture, this elect group has to be the elect of Israel. And, and we'll see why this is the case. So, because at the return, uh, at the return, Jesus comes with his bride. So that's the church. So the church is in heaven. 
He come, they come with Jesus. So the elect in Matthew 24, 31 cannot be the church. His angels, as I said, will gather together his elect who survived the tribulation. And uh, later Jesus refers to these, this group of people as his brethren in Matthew 25, 40. So Jesus comes with the church, his bride, his angels at his second coming, at the time of the return, uh, gather the elect of Israel. And then here in Matthew 25, 31, he gathers all the nations. So who's that referring to? So again, if we match up all the details, we've got the church age believers coming with Jesus. We've got the elect of Israel, I believe Matthew 24, 31 is speaking about, that the holy angels gather at the time that Jesus returns. And then after Jesus returns, he gathers here in Matthew 25, 31, all the nations. And I believe this is referring to all the Gentile survivors of the tribulation. So we've got the church, we've got the elect of Israel that survived the tribulation, and we've got the Gentile survivors of the tribulation. Now, that's the context. I hope that's helpful. This sheep and goats judgment takes place on earth. Really important we get that. It takes place on earth and it takes place after Jesus' return. And at that time, after Jesus' return, he does some things. He sits down on his throne and he divides the sheep from the goats. At this point in time, Jesus divides who? The Gentile believers, that is the sheep, from the Gentile unbelievers, which is the goats. And this clearly reveals a very important truth that upon Jesus' return, there will be both believers and unbelievers who are alive on the earth. There's sheep and there's goats. There's believers and unbelievers who are alive in their um, natural human bodies on the earth at that time. Why is this significant for the timing of the rapture? This is where it gets interesting. Why is it significant that at Jesus' return, when he sits down to judge and he brings the nations in, why is it significant uh, significant that there are unbelievers and believers all together that he separates on the earth at that time. The issue here is quite simple. If the rapture and the return occur at the same time, which we've clearly uh, debunked, that can't possibly happen. But if they did, if the rapture and the return happened at the same time and there was no interval between the two, that would mean that at the return, every living believer is raptured to meet Jesus in the air at that time. Why is that an issue? Then, if Jesus raptures at the return, all living believers, the question is, and the problem is, who are the sheep that are on the earth after Jesus' return that are separated from the goats. The only people that would be left on the earth would be goats because all the believers get raptured. There wouldn't be any sheep. They would all have been raptured. The saved and the unsaved, still in their natural bodies, cannot be separated on the earth. The sheep and the goats cannot be separated on the earth after the return, that is immediately after the return, if all living believers are raptured at the time of the return. There would be no one left to separate. 
See, only a pre-tribulation rapture where the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation period, that is seven years prior to the return, um, would allow time for many people on the earth to be saved. And these believers would be tribulation saints. And then there would be sheep on the earth for Jesus to separate sheep from goats when he returns. The only way that you can have sheep on the earth for Jesus to separate sheep and goats is to have a time interval between the rapture and the return. If there is no interval, then there is no sheep. And this uh, prophetic passage of scripture that Jesus, uh, the, the words that Jesus speak is not true. And we know that everything Jesus speaks is true, right? Um, otherwise we can forget the whole Bible. So if the rapture and the return happen at the same time, there is no sheep. And therefore, this passage of scripture is worthless and inaccurate. So what that means is, because we know the Bible is inerrant and everything, Jesus is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. There is no falsehood in him. So what that means is, by definition, the rapture and the return has to have an interval in between those two events. Now, as if that wasn't enough, there's even more evidence. The fourth thing is populating the kingdom. And we'll finish here. Because the millennial kingdom has to be populated, uh, that, what, the, the only way that can occur is if there is a time interval between the rapture and the, and the return. Let me show you why. This is the problem. See, Scripture teaches that there will be a literal messianic kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Now, if you don't believe that, we have a whole range of other problems uh, in order to work out that this is the least of them. All right, The Bible teaches a literal messianic kingdom where Jesus will rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years prior to setting up his eternal kingdom. That's what Scripture teaches. And in this kingdom, in this thousand year millennial kingdom, there will be Old Testament saints, church age saints and tribulation saints. And they will all enter this kingdom in new glorified bodies. The tribulation saints are the ones that have died during the tribulation. Okay, not the ones that survived. But all of these saints, Old Testament saints, church age saints, the the trib saints that died, they will all enter this kingdom in new glorified bodies. But scripture also teaches that there are believers who enter the kingdom who are in their natural human bodies. Now, these are they who will bear children and populate the kingdom. And the Old Testament speaks about uh, this millennial kingdom and all the details and all the people and all of those things time and time and time again. As a starting point, check out the book of Isaiah, specifically what I'm referring to here is Isaiah 65 verses 20 through 25 that speaks of uh, childbearing in the kingdom. If we have our translated glorified bodies, we no longer, there's no longer marrying and giving in marriage. We no longer um, bear children. And so uh, the problem is, let me summarize this. It is impossible 
for anyone to enter the millennial kingdom in their natural human bodies if all the believers are raptured at the same time as the return of Christ. If all believers are raptured at the same time of the return of Christ, then all believers that enter the millennial kingdom will be in their glorified bodies. Meaning that there wouldn't be anyone left in their natural bodies to populate the kingdom. But the Bible teaches us that there are people in their natural bodies in the millennial kingdom and that they are believers. So how do we get them? How do they get there? Dr. John Wolverd makes this statement. I'm going to read it to you because I think it sums up beautifully the problem and the solution that we have here. Certain problems immediately arise if the church is not translated until the end of the tribulation. Meaning, if the church is translated at the end of the tribulation, we've got problems. Nothing is more evident in the passages dealing with the translation of the church, that is the rapture, than the fact that every believer on that occasion, at that time, is translated. That is, transformed from a body of flesh to an immortal body and caught up from the earth. Now, if the translation takes place after the tribulation, the question facing post-tribulationists or people that believe this, people that believe that the rapture happens at the return, the problem that they face is a very obvious one. Who is going to populate the earth during the millennium? The scriptures are specific that during the millennium, saints will build houses and bear children and have normal mortal lives on earth. If all the believers are translated and all the unbelievers are put to death at the return of Christ, that is at the beginning of the millennium, then there will be no one left to populate the earth and fulfill these scriptures. The best answer to our problem of who will populate the millennial kingdom is an obvious one. If the church is translated before the tribulation period, there is ample time for a new generation of believers to come into being from Jewish and Gentile background to qualify for entrance into the millennial kingdom of the return, uh, at the return of Christ. The only way we can have believers in their mortal body, bodies, which has to happen, we, the church, will be in our glorified bodies when we come back with Jesus and set up and rule and reign on earth in the millennial kingdom. But the only way we have believers in their mortal bodies, the ones that we'll be ruling and reigning over, is if there is a time interval between the rapture and the return. See, when the events of the end times are arranged in an orderly way, and this is what we have to do with Scripture, when we come up to passages with details in them that we can't, where does it fit? We can't ignore them. We have to figure out well, where do they best fit based on, based on the details that Scripture gives us, where do they best fit? And when we do that, when we, arrange, when we arrange the events of the end times in an orderly way, as honestly and as objectively as we can, the necessity of a time interval between the rapture and the return becomes apparent. This provides yet another line of evidence supporting the fact that Jesus could return at any day. That is the imminent rapture of the church 
prior to, before the seven-year tribulation period of God's wrath, which culminates with the return of Christ. I hope this has been helpful. Thanks so much for joining us on another Prophecy Times podcast. We're already looking forward to next week. Next week, we are going to continue to look at this interval of time between the rapture and the return, but we're going to do it next week through the lens of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Thank you again. Really looking forward to seeing you all next week, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Much love.